Welcome to The Lumber Word, where industry veterans Matt Beamer, Greg Riley, and Ashley Buckle dissect the world of commodity lumber each week. We bring you up-to-date insights on supply, demand, and market trends, sharing our trading expertise to benefit everyone in the supply chain. Join us for informative and entertaining discussions that guarantee to make you wiser about all things lumber. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to episode number, I believe, 17 of the Lumber Word. Greg Riley, Sitka USA, Matt Beamer, and we have a guest, Chris Tatchke from DC Materials. Uh, We'll start right off by introducing Chris. Chris is the president of DC Materials, uh, one of the largest turnkey framers, if not the largest, in Wisconsin. Chris is also the past president of the National Framers Council. Uh, He's on the SBCA board. Chris and I, that's where we had a lot of contact through the SBCA, which is a great organization. And if you're not in it, you should check into that. And kind of like the Matt Damon 2011 movie, We Bought a Zoo, Chris built a lumberyard. (laughs) So I think that that's pretty interesting for a lot of reasons, Chris. And I didn't do enough justice introducing you because you have a great story starting out with your father framing tell us a little bit about where you started and how where you've ended up at at this point uh, you know started framing out of high school 17 years old didn't didn't do great in traditional learning situations but when i started framing i was good at it and i was really good at it and i was better than everyone else so by the time i was 20 i had a contract to frame 26 houses over the course of a year my own crew uh, my own small company And I did framing labor only for about 20 years. And in Wisconsin, sort of the pinnacle of success for framers was always sort of having your own multifamily framing crew, 10 to 20 guys building four-story apartment buildings and, and keeping the money that's left over after you paid everyone else, right? Got involved with the National Framers Council in 2014, and I met guys I would describe as professional framing contractors, turnkey guys who were real businessmen who had office jobs. And I thought, well, this is this is new. I want to learn more about this. So got a lot of great mentors through my relationships at the Framers Council. Uh, started learning about lumber, learning how to buy lumber. Uh, Wisconsin traditionally is a, a two-step market. So you've got a general contractor who needs an apartment building, He's going to take a labor-only framing contractor, purchase from them, and then he's going to deal with a lumber yard who's buying panels and trusses and loose and selling that as separate contract to the GC. So to kind of sort of work my way into that, it took me about a year and a half of sort of pitching my vision to vendors in Wisconsin and talking, talking them into selling me. Uh, and in 2019, we, we sold our first lumber package. Since then, we've grown 1,100%. We were named the 539th fastest growing company in America recently by Inc. Magazine. And we're, we're, we're in the process of building our own lumber yard right now. So it's been, it's been a fun ride. Chris, I was writing something down here when you said that. What was your biggest eye-opening experience from just doing the framing to all of a sudden what was your biggest surprise when you started looking to buy your own lumber packages? Oh, yeah. there was there was a lot there were a lot of surprises. Sort of a, a one of the inflection points for me. I was 
I was at a Framers Council event and uh, talking to a guy named Bruce Jones. If you're in Pennsylvania, you know Bruce Jones. Great guy. Yeah. And he had a few drinks and he started bragging to me that he had bought three truckloads of OSB for $4 a sheet. So I went on Menards.com app and looked it up and it was selling retail for like $9 a sheet. And I thought, wow, I'm, I'm really missing out on things here. That was when I decided I need to learn a lot more and, and get in, really get into this and commit to it. Some of the surprises along the way, it's been interesting starting to understand the supply chain as far as everybody has their territory, everybody has their, their place where they work. The people who are willing to work with me, the people who don't want to work with me, people who feel threatened by what I'm doing. There's people who are very interested in doing something new, all kinds of attitudes out there. There's people who add value in a lot of different ways that I didn't expect. Uh, and there's people who just don't add value at all, right? And 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 I found those those guys are the ones who are willing to work hard against you. So it's been fun. You know, I, I and it's a little bit preachy, but there's a lot of different parts of the country that are turnkey framers. And I think there are framers out there who are happy to to get a lumber package from a jobber and take that to site and get a little more margin on it and be mostly hands off. There's turnkey framers who want to be very involved, understand lumber markets, market trends, uh, sell on what they think is going to happen. I think there's more and more guys who are looking at uh, the contract and getting involved and start to understand that more. When you say the contract, you mean the CME contract, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. Yep. I, I recently opened an account, I think three months ago, doing a lot more speculating, doing all speculating right now and no hedging, but I'm getting statements every morning and I'm reading them and understanding them and, and asking more questions to learn more and more. So Chris, just get better understanding as you know, we had a little bit of conversation yesterday and yeah. Yes, you know, we talk about the areas of the country that, you know, are really are turnkey framers, you know, and so having said that, you have a physical location, you bring in bulk quantity, and then you reship out to your respective jobs. Yeah, there's there's a few ways that I buy jobs, and it, it's all, I work with jobbers, so I work with shelter products a lot. You know, there's the other guys out there, Ida Pack, Matthews. In okay. the past, I've, I've always relied on them to do my mm -hmm. price risk management. But as I sort of opened up a location and started to hold inventory, I'll buy a truck here or there when I feel like it's the right time. And if you're paying attention, I think, I think it's generally pretty easy at the volume that I'm doing to make good decisions. And so just building out inventory, if I, if I have a job going, getting a mixed load out of a reload that's four hours away, works fine but sometimes i'll have guys who call me and they need a unit of two by six like in two hours and so you know it's like today you've got somebody they're gonna they're gonna start a job in um you know march april it's gonna be a six month build out yep how are you handling that today right now i'm getting uh, i'm getting job quotes from jobbers okay so you're using jobbers on that okay. yeah i'm using jobbers on that i'm using gotcha. jobbers for uh most of the work the business that I'm doing. Gotcha. Okay. I think they've got a great place as far as the supply chain goes, helping with cash flow for a lot yep. of turnkey guys, oh, sure. right? 
and yep. the price risk management side, which really a lot of framers don't have time for. Guys, guys who are out there wearing tool belts and, and pounding nails, they don't have time to understand any of that and get into that. I have a question for you, Chris. When you uh, you've talked about your exponential growth here yeah. during the pandemic, do you feel like your business model helped you during the supply crunch? Yeah, absolutely. I I didn't have any significant inventory on the ground. I mean, when the when the opportunity came and prices dropped, I could sell very quickly and I could wrap up contracts very quickly whereas my competitors had to average down and I didn't I didn't have to think about that at all. I and I think I when gotten into lumber in 2019, most of lumber works on this hundred year old wisdom, right? Lean by Halloween kind of stuff. Yeah. I think I had a weird advantage that I wasn't held back by any of that. I didn't have any expectations, right? And so all the information I got was new information. I didn't have any backdrop to compare that against. It was a fun time to be learning lumber, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Stressful. Well, it's a stressful why, time. Yeah. <laughs> Chris, tell me a little bit about what your, you know, what the the multifamily segment looks like. I mean, in the in the upper Midwest for 2024. And yeah, you've got some insight into what it looks like nationally. That'd be great to share also. Yeah. Ashley mentioned we're the largest framing contractor in Wisconsin. And we're all multifamily. We don't do any single family. Ever since interest rates started going up, I'm seeing this interesting ebb and flow of multifamily projects. So I guess you call it my, my tower crane index. I rent self-erecting tower cranes for my jobs. And the number of tower cranes I have out on rent, you know, sort of gives a good light on how much work I've got going. Six months ago, I had one tower crane out on rent. Nine months ago, I had four. Two months ago, I had five. And right now I have one. And so what what I've seen from developers is uh, the old lemmings thing is they're kind of all going at the same time when they feel good about the direction the Fed's going. If they think they're going to be able to open a construction loan and have that same rate a year from now, they get the warm fuzzies about that, then they're going with projects. And so I had, I had 500,000 square feet under construction two months ago. I've got 70,000 square feet right now. I've got nothing in uh, January, February, March, but I've got 1.2 million square feet in verbal commitments from general contractors who are waiting on developers to sign contracts with them. And I think generally speaking in the Midwest, there's not a lot of work over the winter. I get a lot of phone calls from subcontractors who are looking to stay busy. So that's kind of the outlook here. Generally, there's a bit of a scramble for multifamily jobs nationally as well. The stuff that's starting in the next six months is a real hot item and they're getting really premium pricing from everybody just because the timing works out. I also think that the people who are paying attention, we're super aware that housing's underbuilt. I think multifamily is the best, best short-term solution. And we all know that it's, it's maybe gonna be slow for a few months, but it's not gonna be slow for a long time. 
Do you feel like the most recent economic news that's been coming out in the last week or two is beneficial to your business going into the first half of 2024 or neutral or negative? I think it's beneficial. Yeah, I think I think inflation sort of, you know, looking at inflation and it being under control and everybody sort of parlaying that into thinking that Jerome Powell's going to stay steady on interest rates is is a good thing. Yeah, it's interesting. It's you know you 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 know you're talking about the, the outlook for business. Ashley and I were at a conference last week, and the economist that spoke highlighted that there's currently a record number of multifamily units under construction, mm-hmm. and you know I feel like that's kind of been a, like one of the positive underlying for the market over the last little while because there's just so much ongoing business. Mm-hmm. And he was forecasting that a 25% decrease in multifamily starts next year. Mm -hmm. Seems seems like a lot with the backdrop of like we're talking about the need for the need for housing. Uh, But his point was, and this may be one of the things that's feeding into your your people waiting on contracts to be signed, is that that they're starting to have issues with financing. Mm-hmm. From the regional banks, rents are falling, and with the higher rates, there's things that are starting to be difficult to pencil out. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There's definitely way more jobs out there right now than there is cash. And yeah, pro formas are not looking good. I think commercial real estate, multifamily, I think they're okay with a lot lower cap rates than they were two years ago. I really feel like the hinge pen is they want interest rates to be the same when they close their construction loans and wrap them up. It's when they open those construction loans. So we're going to be the at same 7%. Or lower. The same or lower. The what same or lower. Time, yeah, what yeah, kind yeah. of time frame is that, Chris? I mean, you talk about that and you it's understand, about, but it's the, about the a year. Doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. It's so about like, a year to it's turn It's not like buying a house where you, you know, you no. call your mortgage broker and then three days later you lock in the rate. No, Matt, that's a good, that's a good point. The general <laughs> yeah. public and even a lot of people that sell lumber don't understand that. Yeah. You know, most people in our business don't really understand the way apartment business is done. And this is why I asked you the question at the very beginning about how your business model was beneficial or not beneficial during the pandemic. During the pandemic, Hampton, a sawmill, was getting all kinds of phone calls from actual builders and developers going, hey, can you give us numbers on lumber? Because sure. their traditional partners had had abandoned that. You know, They did not want to take the risk on the Ford pricing, and, and they had gotten creamed on some of the stuff they'd already priced in the first half of 2021. So it was interesting to, to, to find out you know, how the business is actually done. And really, a lot of it comes down to what Greg is asking you questions and what you're talking about is money. Mm-hmm. Who's financing the project? Well, the banks are. Most of these are not self-financed projects, and they're multi-million-dollar projects. We're not talking about like a three hundred thousand-dollar first-time family home. These are, mm-hmm. you know, these are multi-million-dollar projects. So, absolutely, a lot of people in our business don't understand that, and hopefully, they do now. And it's a math. It's a math decision on whether or not they build these things. That's it. It's a business decision. It's it's not based on a need. It's just does the math work? Period. So Chris, some part of this million and a half quote unquote committed. Mm-hmm. How often are you having to requote the lumber packages for that, or or are you having to requote lumber packages for that? Yeah, I've requoted some recently. It depends on where the GC is at with the developer. 
in their process. I'm, I'm trying to bring everything that I can to the table. How has your ability to, to get labor been the last three years? Mine's good. Um, <laughs> we've got our own carpenters. We also use subcontractors, but I, I treat those guys really well. And a little bit of, a little bit of my secret sauce is I like to make money on the lumber and I like to pay framers for the work that they do. And I pay them really well. And I don't make a lot of money on the labor side of things. I, I make sure those guys get paid well. I pay site managers. I pay laborers to clean. I pay uh, equipment guys. And that's a big part of my pitch and my sell is, is when I build a building, I can go to the table and tell a general contractor, it'll be one week for walls, one week for floor every single time. And I, and I pay for it with my guys, right? I make sure that they're successful. Yeah, well, that's your competitive, your competitive advantage is that, you know, because you're doing turnkey, you know, mm -hmm. you don't have to just make a margin on your labor mm -hmm. because you have, you have the lumber also. And, yeah. you know, being able to overpay, overpay your guys a little bit versus mm -hmm. the market, you've got higher quality people, more reliable people. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Do you, you feel like rents? I just was going to ask him about rents because we touched on that for a second. Sure. There's some markets. In Florida, Texas, there might be some, hell, even Portland might have this, but where rents have dropped from their highs. Mm -hmm. But I don't know if that's a national trend, if it's everywhere, or if it's just some places. Do you Can you touch on that? I pay attention to rents in Madison, and that always makes me feel good because rents. <laughs> well, you know, it's a college town, so rent never goes down in a college town, right? Know. I, I mean, I don't, I don't know, Chris. I don't know how it was. A, was a rough weekend up in Madtown, though, with the Wildcats in town, huh? <laughs> oh, they're the juggernaut of the of the, of mean, the Midwest. You know, Absolutely. it's like like when when the Wildcats beat uh, the Badgers in in Madison. I mean, it's like the the something's the you know the world's turned upside down, right? <laughs> the right. Northwestern. Yeah. Um. Ash, you know, we were talking before about, uh, you know, Chris mentioned it, it you know, and, and I commend you for opening a uh, a futures account. You made a statement is that you're speculating. Yeah. Are you really speculating? I mean, if are you short lumber to a job and if you're long futures then you're not really speculating, you're hedging? Sure. You may be, you may be hedgulating. Yeah, I would say that's fair. Yeah, yeah. I've got some great guys who've been around for a long time who are sort of letting me ride on their coattails for, for a lot of trades. And so it's it's been super helpful. Yeah. Ash, you know, exciting day today. November futures expiring here in about in about a half an hour. Yeah, generally, isn't that the most fun time to be long or short something in the last half hour? Have you ever done that before? I did I did it on accident one time. I was uh I was long, I think it was the September contract, and and I was long like 10 contracts and I'd forgotten about it. I I had my my truck, I got in a fender bender. So I was at Allstate at a claims place getting it, getting it fixed. And all of a sudden my phone just starts blowing up and I'm sitting here talking to this claims guy and all this stuff. I'm totally distracted. And I finally, about the third time I get this call, I, I answered it. It was Paul court. He's like, Hey Beamer, you still got these 10 long, you got like five minutes to get out of them. I'm like, Oh yeah, just buy them back. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I got so lucky. I could have gotten crushed on that. Better, always better lucky than good, Matt. You know, I, uh, I mean, one of the things that was interesting stupid. is, you know, going in. We were in last week when we were in Columbus, and the the board was carrying the carrying a pretty good premium to cash 
uh, really right up until yesterday. And then it, it really went, you know, to, to a pretty si decent sized discount. You know, there's been a fair amount of EFPing going on, which is uh, good to see. And, you know, I mean, like we said last week after meeting with the Merck is, you know, there's there's been no deliveries in the new contract. And if that continues, that's going to be a real, um, you know, that just shows how, 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 what a good job they did in structuring the contract. Yeah, Greg, no, so we can, we can kind of like push forward and talk a little bit uh, about this week, what happened in lumber. I mean, we came back from the Columbus show last week thinking people were a little bit more positive on lumber than they were over the past few months. And I mean, print came out today, was up a little bit on some of the items we saw. I know in the spruce, items two by four nine footers pretty strong still moving forward and we had a lot of inquiry on that this morning sold some cars of that and uh you know i had one call with one guy in the midwest today asking him to buy some 104s and he his comment was i have my job sold a lot cheaper i've got to buy 30 bucks underneath that right so i'm thinking there's been a lot of people that are still in that camp of his other comment was, I didn't think there'd be a lot of buying going into the end of the year. I think. And, Look at and, the board. And, and I know I've, I've said this is that the I didn't realize how oversold and how short the market really was. You know, what I'm trying to put my finger in the air right now is how much of that have we satisfied? Uh, to your point, you know, Chris, is I, I, I quote a ton of multifamily jobs. And in the last week, I've had all of these things, you know, December, January, February starts have all of a sudden come across my desk, you know, kind of the little bit of strength is, I think has flushed some of that business out. Look at the board here, man. It's up $30 today on the, from yesterday's close. We went from 490 to 520. Yeah. Live. I'm real time. I'm look, I opened up my program while you were talking. So we went from 480 49.50 close yesterday to 520 right now. It kind of blows me away that, I mean, I, I checked with a couple sawmills yesterday to see what I could do some expits for, and it was stunningly cheap based on that 490 number. Yeah. And even today, even if even up 30, it's still not a bad deal. So, well, the real deal, the real deal, Matt, is the spread, what the spread traded out to $50 yesterday. I know. I couldn't believe it. It went from right. 30 to, well, 25 to 50, and now it's back down to 18. Right, which is right. normal. So you know, just goes to show you. There's, there, I mean, lots of opportunity in the market. You know, I, you know, people always ask me. I go, you know what? You don't, don't look at the market and try and interpret what it means for. Just look at it as like, what, what can it do for you, right? Well, let's let's look at it instead of looking at it as a 24 hour window. Look at it as a as a one month window or a two month window. Start taking a bigger, wider view of it. When you go into, if you've been listening to us for the last few weeks, you would know that mills are curtailing. The math doesn't work. We're going into the lowest production time of the year. Inventories are low. People have business coming up in the next year, and that these job quotes have been floating around, and they're starting to get they're starting to get put. And so, there's no mystery as to which direction the market wants to go, right? Somebody asked me three weeks ago if I had a dollar to bet. If the market was going to go up or down, I said, I'd bet $10 it's going to go up. I mean, it's not hard to read the tea leaves if you just start looking at all the realities that are right in front of you. And, and then also, there's a big part of our business, which people just ignore half the time. It's called time of year, right? 
Go get yourself one of those random lengths charts or a futures chart and just print it out and put it on your desk. Look at the time of year that you're in and pay attention. You know, it's don't fight it. Just just realize it's data that's been around for a long time. That's been that's been an interesting revelation for me is uh, when I'm looking at jobs now that are going to start in July, August, just being able to look at what are the times a year that I'm going to have opportunities between now and then it really helps guide my decisions, right? Yeah. And if you don't have a disruption like 2021, 2022 with the supply chain, it's pretty safe to, to assume that between you know, December 1st and July 1st, you're going to have a couple of spot buy opportunities that are going to make you some money. Hey, Chris, with your um, with the new facility you're putting in, and you made the comment of, and we made the comment of how we're underbuilt. And I, I, I can make the argument we're underbuilt because we're still doing an inordinate amount of homes the old-fashioned way, not off-site construction, panelizing, that type of thing. Mm-hmm. You must have some type of thought process of, I mean, you're young, innovative, like what's the thought process on building a panel and trust plan at some point? You know, uh, I've got a really great vendor, Automated Products, up in Marshfield. John Dees sure. has, has been a great partner. If I say jump, they ask how high. And that's what has brought both of our companies a lot of success. Offsite, I think there's a lot of, I think there, you know, there's always, there's been buzz there for five years, right? And you've got a lot of venture capital going into, you know, volumetric and, and all these other neat things. I always kind of go back to like, I've been framers, we've been building buildings for a long time. And and every day we go out on the job site and we try to find a li- way to do it a little faster, a little bit better, right? So one of the things, there's a few things we're doing. I think the move to supply housing better, more efficiently, cheaper is going to be extremely incremental. And I think all all the offsite guys are kind of pushing us there. But I think it's steps like we're we're pre-building our stair cassettes at our at our facility now. We're pre-building our exterior decks. And there's a few framers around the country who who are doing that. And I'm a little bit, I'm obviously biased, but if you look at the guys who've really delivered real good value, the component manufacturers, their backgrounds are in framing contracting. Uh, Buddy Rainey down in Florida. Ryan Moline, uh, also in Florida. I think the companies that are doing off-site to site delivery best started out as framers. It's preachy. I think it's a 20-year kind of a cycle and not like, I think there's a lot of people who are looking for some kind of lightning in a bottle or, or easy plug-on solution. You've, get, you've got this huge workforce if you want us to do things better and more efficiently, it's it's got to adapt. You got you've got to listen to the framers. <laughs> so good point. Yeah, Chris. I mean, what what a great great to have you and uh, not, you know, nice to get a chance to meet you and really 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 good info. That's yeah, for sure. I spent twenty years as sort of this framer with blinders on, just looking at what I what I what I had to build during the day. One of the great joys of what I do now is going to like Montreal Wood Conference. Uh, I was at a real estate conference two weeks ago in San Diego, sort of having a fuller understanding of the the entire process of how people have places to live. It's It's been a lot of fun learning about lumber 
and learning about all the other parts and pieces that affect what I do. So Chris, just uh, to conclude, what if you had some framers that will listen to this yeah. and they're not involved, actively involved in their own lumber spend right now yeah, and are interested in it, what's a bit of advice you give them to, to start learning about it? Boy, um, first one's call me. Okay. Um, mentoring yeah. is, a, is a passion of mine. I love it. Uh, I was on the phone a week ago with a framer from Colorado who a lot of our story, there's a lot of alignment there. Get involved with the National Framers Council. If, if you want to be in, in a room with 50 framing contractors who are really successful and willing to share advice freely, it's pretty easy to spend a few bucks on a membership and, and travel to, to meet us. Find people who aligned interests with you. Uh, I buy a lot of lumber from uh, Tim Aspinwall, uh, Shelter Products. Tim reached out to me four years ago, and 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 I didn't know really anything about lumber. And he said, "Hey, let me let me help you. Let me guide you. I'll give you all the advice that you need. Call me with any questions." And the, the you know upside for Tim, of course, was that he got a new customer. He's going to win on the sale, and I'm going to win. Uh, with him coaching me, right? And so hook up with people who who have a financial interest in your success, right? Yeah, great advice. And Tim's a great guy. He let me yeah. tag along with him quite a bit down in Indy this, yeah, yeah. Year, this year. So they're, they're yeah. just a great group of people. Absolutely. Um, all right, gents, that kind of concludes episode 17 of the Lumber Word. We'll look forward to uh, having uh, some guests in the following weeks. And Chris, thank okay, you we're again. Off, we're off next week. Happy Thanksgiving to everybody. Yeah, happy Thanksgiving. Yeah, everybody. Yeah, everybody. Can't can't wait. First... Huh? I said, I can't wait. Turkey's in the fridge, baby. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Have a great uh, have a great rest of your week, and we'll look forward to, uh, to talking soon. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of The Lumber Word. The Lumber Word podcast is dedicated to engaging conversations about the lumber industry, including trading ideas, market trends, and evaluations of overvalued and undervalued assets. We wish to emphasize that the discussions and opinions expressed in this podcast are purely for informational and entertainment purposes. They should not be considered as financial or investment advice. We encourage our listeners to make their own financial decisions taking into account their unique circumstances and financial goals, and to seek professional financial advice if necessary.